Hello and welcome to All Things Women's Health. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Stroud. I'm a board-certified obstetrician, gynecologist, a husband, a a father, a grandfather, a small business owner. I'm a Catholic. I'm a lot of things. But right now on this show, I'm your host as we discuss really all things women's health. It doesn't matter if it's from pregnancy loss to childbirth, menopause to recurrent miscarriage, uh, personal trainers to homeschooling. If it involves women and their health, it's on our agenda. Well, joining me today are two great friends of mine, uh, Amber Todd, pastoral counselor, and her husband, Nate. And they're going to talk to us about a topic that doesn't get talked about nearly enough, and that is the postpartum period. Unfortunately, that can be a time that, unlike what it should be, it should be peaceful, it should be beautiful, but sadly, too often, it's not. Uh, we live in a broken world, there's no question, and our brokenness can really become apparent in this postpartum period. Well, they've done something miraculous. They've put together a course called Peaceful Postpartum. Uh, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about postpartum mood challenges. We're going to talk specifically about men and our role in the postpartum period. So I know that you're going to walk away from this knowing a great deal more. Uh, and I hope we share some tools with you that will help you not only just survive, but thrive during the postpartum period. So get comfortable as we get to know a lot more about how to achieve a peaceful postpartum experience. We'll be right back with All Things Women's Health. Well, welcome back to All Things Women's Health, and welcome to this discussion about an important topic, the postpartum period. Nate and Amber, welcome to All Things Women's Health. Thank you. Well, perhaps we should start by talking maybe a little bit about you. Uh, Amber, listeners probably recognize you from other episodes. It's the first time that Nate's joined us. So maybe let's start um, with a bit of an introduction to the Todd family. Sure. So Nate and I have four children, so we've been through this four times in postpartum, and my background as a Christian counselor has kind of given me a unique perspective in regards to going through the postpartum period from an emotional health standpoint. Mm -hmm. I think we've grown a lot from having our first child through that journey and just by walking with so many couples through the postpartum period. I've also observed a lot of patterns of what works and what doesn't, and Nate's been an incredible partner through all of those seasons and really it's us learning together each Mm. time getting better and better about how to support one another and that's been huge in our experience yeah it's it's fair to say i think it's not easy (laughs) that sounds (laughs) that sounds so elementary but yet maybe no one ever says that out loud in a complete sentence that the postpartum period can be really tough tough for husbands tough for marriages, tough for the whole family Mm -hmm. uh, structure. Uh, I think about my own experience with our first child. I was a practicing obstetrician. I was married to a nurse midwife, and I remember getting home from work on about day four or five after Mm -hmm. the birth of our first child. Um, There's probably something there that I was back at work at four days. (laughs) Maybe not the greatest, but we can talk more about that. Um, And I walked into the house, and my wife was sitting on the couch, and uh, in front of her, distributed on the floor, were used Kleenex in a giant sphere that she had just been sitting there dropping them on the floor all day. Hmm. And I remember thinking, I'm a professional. I should know more about this. But something seems wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was. But uh, I didn't have people like you guys to, to help me understand what to do. Yeah. Um, so, 
Yeah, it's an important topic, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I think especially from a husband's perspective, I think we are prepared so much as women because we're typically the ones that are at every appointment. We're having all the conversations and, you know, many husbands obviously are engaged and involved as much as they can. But the postpartum period is really the time where they, in essence, are stepping up to the plate and sort of thrown into life with a newborn. And a lot of a lot of men may or may not have tools to be mm. able to handle that. Yeah, absolutely. Just an understanding, uh, a sense of is something wrong? Is everything okay? Mm-hmm. One or the other, and how to know that difference can be really challenging. Yeah. Maybe um, let's give listeners a sense from uh, a counseling perspective. What are we talking about in the universe here? How many people are going to be affected, and how might they be affected in the postpartum period? So when we when we talk about perinatal mental health, where the the statistics are one in seven women struggle within the first three months, but if you follow them after that, it's actually one in five in the mm-hmm. first th- in the first year of life um, for a baby. And then the surprising thing that a lot of people don't talk about is it's actually one in ten men. Yeah. Which do you want to speak to maybe why you think that that isn't discussed, or maybe a lot of men aren't aware that that's even a factor? Right. Yeah. Well, I think practically, you know, for most men. We've talked about this a lot, but just acknowledging that I'm having a hard time is not something that's simple or easy for us to do as men. <laughs> mm-hmm. We want to fix it. We want to figure it out. And we're going to find it, find a way to figure it out. I mean, a similar story to when we were pregnant with our first at our, um, I think it was the, uh, the, the class you had to go to. Mm. And I remember the nurse, she said we had to refer to her as Boob Donna because she was a lactation consultant as well. <laughs> so that stuck. <laughs> and so I remember uh, asking Donna when we got into about the challenges of, of latching. I had heard war stories from my friends' yeah. wives about how painful it was. Then I heard from the husbands how hard it was as they're witnessing their wife go through all this pain and trying to feed the baby, can't feed the baby. And so I was determined, I'm going to get the information. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to figure this out so Amber doesn't have to go through this process, but really so I don't have to go through this process. Yeah. And I think a lot of times, speaking for myself, and I'm sure many other men, it, you're afraid to acknowledge your insecurities. Mm. You're afraid to ask for help. And then also, um, I think societally, uh, we have leaned on our women for a long time to lead in ways that maybe we don't talk about as much, but now we're finally talking about. Uh. And so this circle around giving birth, um, it's easy for us to say they've got it. And so um, when we start seeing that they don't got it, when we're used to them having it, (laughs) it starts, you know, the function of our brain and our body starts shutting down. And I think that compounds that we don't talk about it, that then that cycle that they get into, like, we're never going to get out of this, this, this struggle, this pattern. Mm-hmm. And so I think the biggest indicator of change is that men are becoming to become safe in acknowledging how they feel. Oh. Yeah. And, and that, that alone will open up doorways for them to really know not only how to support themselves, but their spouse. Yeah, I like to say we're sort of we're sort of geared, we're made uh, to kill the bear. <laughs> Whatever the bear is, <laughs> we're supposed to kill it. Right. And <clears throat> this problem, coming home and realizing that something is wrong with your wife who's just given birth, and it's supposed to be perfect, mm-hmm. but something is clearly not perfect, mm. that's a big bear, and we don't know what to do about it. And then I think too often, then we start to feel helpless. And as a rule, not to be too general, but as a rule, we men don't like feeling helpless very well. <laughs> right. And we don't always cope well with that feeling, do mm. we? Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, I like the way that you say we've leaned so much. You know, we joke and say that, 
you know, I could have my legs cut off and my kids wouldn't notice. But, <laughs> you know, mom gets the sniffles and the entire enterprise shuts down. Mm. But that's true of couples that have children, but it's also true just in the marriage often. And then suddenly with the postpartum issues, that gets threatened. Right. Yeah. Listening to you describe that, I'm reminded of those those feelings and they were intense. Mm-hmm. I think especially even knowing Marianne and myself, when, when you have a woman who is strong and capable and normally everything's fine and she can handle it, and then you see a soft side and a vulnerability that maybe you've never seen before yeah. because she it's maybe one of the first times where you realize in, in her own strength she can't meet the demand, which is the newborn season. Yeah. So statistically, as you pointed out, it's very common for there to be some postpartum mood issues Mm -hmm. uh, for both spouses. Mm -hmm. Um, Would you say that's true independent? I mean, is it likely that maybe the husband will struggle and the wife doesn't? Or do you think the husband's struggle is more sort of reactionary to his wife's struggle? I think both can be true. Mm. Either one can be true. But if if a wife is struggling, the husband's at a higher risk yeah. or vice versa. And a lot of times I'll be working with a mom who has postpartum depression. And as I start to dig and ask questions about her husband and marriage, and all of a sudden these light bulb moments go off of like, you know what, now I have language to put to the fact that he seems different. Mm. It seems like things have changed or my stress or my anxiety, my worry and obsession about the baby's sleep or not being able to... Um, separate from baby or let myself take a nap, it's wearing on him. Yeah. And so I don't know whether you want to say one causes the other. What are your thoughts about that? Yeah, I think just also in general, I mean, your life has completely changed. <laughs> what you were accustomed to is not the custom anymore. <laughs> and so for that to be changed for anybody, it's going to be unsettling. Mm-hmm. But then you have your baseline support system for most households, not all households. Usually women are cooking and there's a lot more roles that they're filling that men generally don't do or are unwilling to do. I'll say I was unwilling to do for a long time <laughs> and I learned to get over myself <laughs> and realize that this is this is important, not just for my wife, but also for me to finally take ownership of my life. Mm-hmm. And so I think this aspect of, you know, I, I speak about this in the course, but when you give birth and you have your first child, this is generally speaking the first time of a man becoming a man. We don't have, um, you know, like in the Jewish faith, you have a bar mitzvah that we're acknowledging this time he is a man now, right? But customly in our culture now, we've gotten away from these moments of really pushing through and recognizing, okay, I'm taking on ownership of myself as a man Mm. and looking for ways I can serve, looking for ways that I can lead and love. Mm. And Mm. so when we come into this place where uh, we are already feeling a lack and then we don't have... Um, the tools to know how to help our wife is very unsettling. Wow. Mm-hmm. Let's give listeners a couple of examples of uh, of some issues in the in the postpartum period, uh, when they might start, and what some of those issues might be as mm-hmm. examples. Mm-hmm. I would say, I mean, most commonly, when when you hear the word, you know, she had postpartum, yeah. you're typically referring to postpartum depression. But there's a wide scale and range of what that can be. You know, most common is postpartum blues, you know, in the very beginning, up to 80% of women struggle with that. It shouldn't last any more than seven to 10 days. If it goes beyond that point, then really it's turning into postpartum depression. And and as an example, postpartum blues, I like to say is crying at dog food commercials. Mm-hmm. Uh, the slightest little thing makes you tearful. Yeah. The f- silly things sometimes. Mm-hmm. But it, it, tell me if you think I'm wrong, but 
it often is obvious that it's not serious. Right. I, yeah. my, my question that I often ask women, when, if I'm trying to discern, are they in that window, is that if you do something to regulate, so if you go take a shower or eat mm. a hot meal or take a nap, are you able to feel better and recover? Yeah. And usually those things will kind of get you back up to feeling a little bit more like yourself. Yeah. With postpartum depression, it, it turns into more of the feeling of almost this heavy blanket and mm. overwhelm that just, no matter what you try, doesn't seem to lift. So very common to have some of the almost comical blues. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not what we're talking about right. as a problem. Right. Uh, but that versus something more serious. Mm-hmm. What are the more serious things? So so in addition to postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety is mm-hmm. very common and also co-occurring. And, and I think especially for first-time moms, when you have this picture in your head of like what you think it will be like and how you think it should go and the type of swaddle you're going to use and the bottle your baby's going to love and you have it all figured out and then maybe baby isn't sleeping well or baby's not Mm -hmm. latching or something isn't going well. It's that feeling of being out of control. And so anxiety, worry, it's that sense of restlessness. I think women who have anxiety often, they can't nap when baby's napping. They, Mm. They don't know how to almost calm down and regulate their nervous system. Which then an extreme end of that can turn into postpartum OCD, which becomes this obsession with setting the clock and the timer. And you have to go through these five steps in a certain order. And, you know, even when sometimes when husbands step in to help, it can become like micromanaging. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe some women tend to have that type of personality, but it can be exacerbated in postpartum. So he starts changing diaper, but then maybe she's criticizing him and saying, oh, not that way, or you use too many wipes, or not those pajamas. (laughs) And it's exhausting. I mean, just saying that, it's exhausting when you have help and you have someone who's willing to step in, your partner. You can't allow it to be done. Right, Mm -hmm. so these women, it's not that people aren't helping them, but they're not letting them help them. And I think that leads to the general exhaustion. And then the the other piece that I wanna mention, because it's been common even this year alone, um, I think from cases we've seen in our community, I know of at least six personally, women who struggle with postpartum psychosis, Yeah, which is one in 10,000. It is less common, but observationally, it seems to be becoming more common. And these are the cases that you hear about in the news. This is yeah. the woman becoming completely detached from reality. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is a psychotic break mm-hmm. where reality no longer works. Mm-hmm. Um, but if, if uh, family members or husbands are listening and they're thinking, well, how would I know? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you've given some good examples. So maybe some obsessive things, mm-hmm. uh, depression, mm-hmm. tearfulness, mm-hmm. Uh, extreme anxiety. Mm-hmm. Can you think of other important things that, uh, that caregivers should watch out for? Yeah, I think just overall, I mean, you knew her well before baby came. Mm -hmm. And so what personality changes or temperament changes? I think many times women go undiagnosed or they don't receive support because it's chalked up as like, oh, it's just postpartum. Postpartum is just hard. It's sleepless. It's miserable. You'll just get through it, Mm -hmm. which is one of the things that we're really passionate about putting an end to because I believe that God created the postpartum period to be peaceful Mm -hmm. and enjoyable. And this is a sacred season that you won't ever get back (laughs) with your newborn baby. And it it doesn't have to be miserable. And even if you are one in five who struggle, if you are educated and prepared and have a plan, then you know exactly what to do when those signs come up and you know who to reach out for and having a support system, including professionals, OBs, doulas, all of the people in place um, allows you to get the support that you need. Yeah, I mean, if you, if you just think about it, 
from a planning perspective, if you know something is that likely to happen, it only makes sense to have a plan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and it really makes sense for we husband types to have a plan because it's very likely to become necessary. Yeah. Uh, but I think, I'm listening to you, you're saying we might even be able to do some preemptive things mm-hmm. so that you don't need your plan, uh, mm-hmm. that we can completely ward off and maybe diminish that probability. Mm-hmm. So some of those things in the postpartum period, would you say that set of symptoms is the same for husbands or do you think it's something unique with men? Yeah, do you wanna speak to that? I think you probably do a better job speaking to From a counseling yeah. perspective, yeah. yeah. So I would say in general, I mean, what's most common when we say one in 10 men would be postpartum depression? Yeah. Now, we can think of the typical depressive symptoms. We all know what those are. I would say what's unique to men that I think a lot of people don't talk about is rage, hmm. irritability. I, I think those are the two common things or really withdrawing and being quiet. All detached. sort of masculine twists, right. mm. you might say, on, on right. common things. Yeah, and so I see that show up as marital conflict, okay? Mm. When I really start to break down, it's interesting. All of a sudden, we're having these big explosive arguments during postpartum, and we're not able to regulate and work through the conflict. Well, one, acknowledging you're sleep-deprived. You know, you've got these big life stressors. You're coming into new identity. It's a demanding season. In light of all of that, is there something going on in him that could be contributing to the big reactions? And and I think in addition to that, even as a man, that pressure of, okay, we now have another child. I'm Perhaps I'm providing, I need to provide more. I feel, I see a lot of men carry that weight, yeah. you know, on their shoulders in terms of family and responsibilities. And that, that's, a, that's a big conflict that we're setting up because I'm sure at some point we're going to suggest as ideas to husbands, maybe you should take some time off from work. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, most new dads are thinking, wow, the expenses just went up and I'm just getting started. I better sign up for overtime or I better, you know, not take some time off now. Mm -hmm. What a terrible conflict that is. Yeah. Yeah. And meeting the expectation of, you know, wanting to be there at home, but then feeling that tension of wanting to be able to care for your family. And we've kind of had the unique situation that Nate was working from home during most of our postpartum periods. And so that came with its own unique challenges, (laughs) which is maybe more common than what it used to be. And if you want to speak to that. As a dad, like even the balance of for dads working from home when you have right. a lot of need in the house. Yeah. Like, I mean, the, the, the reality of what you're responsible for outside of the house doesn't change, mm-hmm. but how you get it done does. Mm-hmm. And knowing that you're hearing in the background your wife crying, <laughs> you're hearing the baby crying, you're on a conference call. <laughs> What do you do, yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> am I going to be short and curt with this customer that is going to pave a way for us to pay our groceries? Or am I going to bear out knowing that I hope they get through this? I'm and feeling like we should do an entire episode on working from home, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because I'm sure anyone working from home in this post-pandemic world mm-hmm. has probably experienced that. There's no line. Yeah. Right. I can't just close the door. Yes. Yeah. You know, that's where, you know, boundaries are important. And this is where planning ahead helps. Yeah. Yeah. Communicating and having, like, a plan that when I'm on a call and I'm hearing this, what do I do? You know, like truly, what do I do? I feel torn in them. So I think one, if you can't do anything for her to hear that you're thinking about it goes Mm. a long ways for her to be acknowledged that like, wow, this is my responsibility. I care for you and I want to help Mm -hmm. um, will create um, uh, more safety for her to be able to express those feelings because she needs to express them. But we need to find a way that it's actually serving our family, not creating more frustration and conflict. Gosh, Mm -hmm. for a second there, it sounded like you think men need to uh, communicate in a preemptive way 
We're going to have to think about that a while. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get back to that. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's learning, right? Growing. Yeah. And, and I think that that as a whole is a lifelong journey. Mm-hmm. You know, and hopefully as, as, as partners, we realize that um, a good marriage is built off of really clear, good listening. Mm-hmm. Not just communicating, but being a good listener. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that, that is something that, um, thankfully, and I think the, the model that has been uh, given to most men has been the opposite to where the, you don't see conflict resolved in a healthy way. You are observing distance. So, like, you're going to do what you learned. And so now we are finding ways to be able to know how to support men's hearts and their minds. And I, I, this is just my own personal opinion, but I believe that especially when you bring a child and say it's a little boy, there's something in all of us that we at times can feel like a little boy. <laughs> my mom can make me feel like that just in a second. <laughs> my wife can do that too, right? And it's usually not the best way of feeling like a little boy, yeah. but there are ways that you can do make it feel really great like a little boy. But all that being said, now you're seeing this little boy and you're seeing your little boy, and there's this extreme vulnerability that's not present that you never yeah. knew that was there. Mm-hmm. It was always there inside of you, but now it's magnified because you see this little guy who needs help. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, it is a great way to learn going through the fire yeah. because you will have to change, but it's not the way that we most want to choose. Yeah. You know, you remind me, and I distinctly remember feeling, um, it's hard to articulate, but it, for lack of a better phrase, sort of competition with this thing that came home. Mm. Uh, so, you know, before there's a child, it's the two of you. Uh, and, and whatever the nature and the and sort of the character of your relationship, mm-hmm. it is what it is. And then you bring this completely dependent entity home mm-hmm. that quite literally can't live without your wife, mm-hmm. uh, particularly if she's breastfeeding. And I remember it being a bizarre thing, even though I could articulate at the time, this is stupid. I'm not jealous of my newborn. <laughs> yeah. But in reality, I'm thinking, we haven't had a conversation in three days. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. you, you used to press start on the coffee maker. You're not doing that anymore. What's wrong? Um, and you'll have those feelings. Do I not matter anymore? Mm. And then you realize it's silly to have those feelings, but you have them nonetheless. How yeah. often do you hear those kinds of issues in a counseling setting. Yeah, very common. I I think the idea of being seen is really powerful Mm. in in postpartum because the exchanges can become transactional when you're when there's so much demand. And so it's like, okay, I'll take a shift, you know, you go (laughs) sleep, or I'll hold baby, you go shower. And so when it becomes so transactional that you're in essence in survival mode, we can fail to really see one another. And so one thing that we've been really intentional about just in our journey with marriage is, you know, taking these holy pause moments to just really connect eye to eye, heart to heart, even Mm -hmm. if it's for two minutes, but just checking in first thing when we wake up, right before one of us goes to work, right when one of us gets home and then right before we go to bed, it's really looking at one another, human to human and saying, I see you. How was your day? What's going on? Even now with our four kids running around us and pulling on us, they know when we're having one of those moments that it's sacred and that we are locked in with one another. And I think learning to do that in postpartum was essential because while you're taking baby from me, I'm looking at you with gratitude and saying, I I, I really appreciate you stepping in in this moment and seeing my need to go rest. Hmm. And so I think that goes a long way. And and being able to strengthen your marriage in those ways before the baby comes and being proactive is really important because if you have any of those weaknesses in your relationship, in essence, if it's been a busy season, you're not 
connecting very much. Um, maybe you haven't had intentional date night. All those things, baby comes, yeah. and then the weak points in your marriage are exposed. Oh, sure. Because there's so much demand. And and I would imagine that's only made more prevalent or prominent if maybe there have been some problems during the pregnancy, mm-hmm. maybe some scares, maybe some complications, maybe the mom had to be out of work and stay home. Uh, so now you're already stressed mm-hmm. before the baby even arrives. Yeah. So um, maybe that's a good segue into, we've discussed some of the problems that can happen what some of those problems can look like, maybe why they're there. Mm-hmm. Um, let's start talking about a way to do better. How can you beat the odds? Mm-hmm. Um, and how can you how can you prevent some of these problems, hopefully? Yeah, I remember sitting down with you a few years ago. It was in the middle of, I think, our pregnancy with Jonathan, our fourth <laughs> baby. And you had just had a meeting that morning about the current you know, postpartum epidemic across the nation sure. and how so many women were falling in the cracks, mm-hmm. you know, within the, the six weeks. And so we have this magical six week number and that's the, the, the one point where we're supposed to check in and make sure everything's okay, right. which is great. I'm not taking away from that, but just that principle alone that we just wait and see if she's going to struggle. Mm-hmm. And if we happen to catch it, if she happens to be fully honest and we catch it, now it's we're six weeks into a process that needs some repair. Mm. And so I'm really passionate about being proactive and not reactive. Yeah. And I think that starts ideally even before pregnancy, but definitely within pregnancy, having really intentional conversations around core areas of vulnerability. And by doing that, by preparing and looking at what her risk factors are, and that's something we've been working really hard at FMCC, having lots of conversations with providers, midwives, other professionals, to really hone in on what are the core risk factors that we see, the red flags within pregnancy that put her at risk for struggling with a perinatal mood or anxiety disorder. And not only do we want to identify it, but let's do something about it during pregnancy. Yeah. Yeah, at least identifying where where is the devil's greatest opportunity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, f- for example, if um, maybe a woman has a pre-existing depression sort mm-hmm. of struggle or a pre-existing anxiety, that's not suddenly going to get better in those early postpartum weeks, mm-hmm. right? Right. If anything, it's going to get a lot worse. Right. So if we could put together a plan. First, we'd have to acknowledge that's a problem, yeah. and then put together a plan to deal with some of those things. Right. Um, and I just want to speak to women too who are listening, who aren't at our office, mm-hmm. that you can be your own advocate. Mm-hmm. I think that a lot of women maybe just wait for someone to ask. You know, do you have a history of depression or anxiety? You yeah. probably filled it out. You know, in your OB intake form, but let's be honest, your doc may not be thinking about that sure. in that moment. It may not come up until later on. So if you have any um, pre-occurring you know, mood disorder, if you have any history with sexual trauma, um, abuse, um, any type of family stress, marital stress, financial stress, yeah. um, we need to identify that early on. Even infertility, that's something a lot of people don't talk about. If you've been through a lot on this journey to get pregnant, yeah. first of all, as soon as you're pregnant, you're probably anxious because there's that fear, especially if you've experienced loss. And so if we can catch that early on, then we can get you the counseling, the support, you can be having those conversations with your provider along the way. And um, then you can be proactive and put those things in place to be able to have the support you need. Yeah. I mean, the list really is almost unlimited if you think about the possibilities. I'm just reminded listening to you about family dynamics Mm -hmm. um, and all of the decisions that I think a lot of times I've seen young couples 
not even consider, and all of a sudden they're loaded down. Everything mm-hmm. from, are we going to use pacifiers or not? Mm-hmm. Are we going to circumcise our son? Mm-hmm. What's the role of your mother <laughs> going to be in this relationship? Is Are both mothers present? Do both mothers agree on this parenting technique or not? All of those things are just great opportunities for strife mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. and friction uh, on top of the natural things that are already happening. Right. But we could identify those early on yeah. and start getting some of those answers. Right. And I think identifying it in a professional setting. So those are those are key things you can talk through with your provider and professionals. But really for Nate and I, our heart in creating Peaceful Postpartum, which is our online course, is to be able to provide couples tools that they can use at home Mm. through having intentional conversation and reflecting on key questions to be able to identify these things and excavate any of their risk factors personally. And I really, we did this organically just through the process of preparing. You know, would you want to speak to just with each birth that we had, we've been through this four times, (laughs) you know, what our debriefing was like in between and kind of how we learned by having intentional conversation, like while we were pregnant. Right, yeah, I I have to share this just because it's still a funny, fun memory to me, but I remember with our first child, uh, Amber, I think she had like had been awarded the best um, <laughs> librarian helper or renter of books because um, we had about yeah. 50 books <laughs> and she had gone like daily for like three weeks in a row buying every book that she could possibly to learn about this stage. And so one at that time it was funny. I had it to a point say like no more. And I think that is a healthy thing. It's like, okay, there's only so much we can do. Yeah, I remember right? you looking at me. I had my 20 books on birth and all the things. Yeah. Puts his hand on it. He said, you know everything you need to know. And now we're finished. (laughs) (laughs) So I can honestly say this course has great information because you have really planned well and really understanding all the things that need to be aware of, like you referenced to, just even the small things, how they touch. And if they start building and compounding um, stressors that can be easily um, fixed with good communication. But um, really, you don't know what you don't know a lot of times. And that's what we wanted to do with Peaceful Postpartum is creating some awareness to things that you really don't know or how to prepare for this transition. And so for us, from one to four, by the third child, we really understood the needs of each of us Mm -hmm. in the room, our children, ourself, and our collective connection, Mm -hmm. us individually as a husband and wife, and also as a family. Mm-hmm. We weren't perfect, but at least we became aware of mm-hmm. what are the what are the signs that Amber needs to get out of the house? What are the <laughs> signs that I need to know that sh- this isn't personal? She's yeah. not she's not doing this to it's not personal towards me right now. Mm-hmm. Her whole body, her whole system has now been rewired. Mm-hmm. She has a child that needs her every few hours mm-hmm. to feed, right? And so I had to find ways to learn to support my my touch like i desire having physical touch with you and you got to a point where it's like i can't be touched anymore right so i'm going to neighbors hey give me a hug (laughs) you know know, can i give you a kiss in the cheek (laughs) but truly that each child we became more clear about what's going on inside of us and that alone will create a pathway of better understanding and better support Mm -hmm. Um, and so by the time we had jonathan it's not to say it was a breeze, but it was amazing. Yeah. I mean, I just, the times that we were able to have individually with our son and also together was just, it was holy. It was really beautiful and this holy moment of seeing how sacred it is that we brought a life that God graciously gave us the opportunity of serving and leading in this unique way. And so um, it really cuts out um, the pain points and creates more understanding to know that I can live. 
and I can enjoy this actually. Yeah, even just knowing and having it affirmed that this isn't a climate change, this is just weather. Mm-hmm. This is not gonna last forever. It's a, it's a very unique phase mm-hmm. that actually is pretty short term, yeah. uh, right. but it, it can feel like it's forever <laughs> when you're in the middle of it, yeah. because nobody's telling you that it's not. Um, I wish that I'd had this information you know, many, many years ago when we were going through it for the first time, but, but there's so little information. Mm-hmm. And what's there is not always good. Certainly the Hollywood perspective um, is, right. not, is not mm-hmm. a helpful one. Right. So let's start preparing people. What, what, do, what, what do we do to mm-hmm. prepare? Mm-hmm. Well, just like I think most people take birth classes, right? Yeah. So they go through the process. And typically it's done, you know, by what? What's your rule? 34 weeks or About, so? yeah. And, and you have, I always call it the window, right? The waiting window, which yeah. can be hard. And that is the prime time. Even, I would say, actually, even before that, even in, you know, first, second trimester, to start to go through this process of what I would say, identify your risk factors, have proactive conversations with your providers, and then start to work through intentional conversations with your spouse. Because by being able to do that early on, you actually have time to work through the healing and the preparation. And I'll give you a small example. Let's say maybe your in-laws are challenging and you're a little anxious about you know, your mother-in-law is being pushy. She wants to be at the birth and you think yeah. she's going to be the one that shows up at your door nonstop when, in the first few days when you're trying to breastfeed and that you really don't desire that and you're <laughs> feeling really anxious. Yeah. Okay, well, we can talk about that in counseling. We can name that. But we've got to have a little bit of time to help you build that clarity, to help you get confidence, for the two of you to be united. And then you need to have some conversations with your in-laws. You need to set the boundaries. You need to follow through. And so if we give time during pregnancy to work through some of those things, then by the time you go into labor, you're not anxious about what she's going to do because you've already had the conversation with her. And so I think practically, you know, Nate and I have taken all of our experience from being parents of four and then from counseling so many couples through pregnancy and postpartum, we've boiled it down into five modules. So Peaceful Postpartum, Emotional Wellness for Postpartum Parents is our online course, and it guides couples through, which is unique because I don't know of any other course that addresses husband and wife. Right. The husband's very much a part of the conversation because he is your biggest support and he needs to feel empowered and supported too. And so we sort of have a roadmap depending on where you start. Um, if you start in between pregnancies, typically that might be because you had a difficult previous postpartum yeah. and you want it to be different. I have women who come to me because they're terrified to get pregnant because they're so anxious about how difficult their previous postpartum was. I've certainly heard that in my practice, not uncommonly. Right. So if that's the case, you can start even, you know, in between pregnancies. So we kind of have a roadmap where we walk you through that. We talk about a holistic perspective of postpartum, how to really address your mental, physical, and spiritual health in the midst of postpartum, because it really does affect every part of your being. And then we identify, there's four key areas through all my years of experience that I've seen are the biggest vulnerabilities and the biggest sources of potential strength within Uh postpartum. And so we identify those four pillars. There's a whole module where Nate speaks directly to dads. And that I think is huge itself, just to hear man to man. This is how it really is. This is what we went through. And then I have a troubleshooting module in there. So I took the top five core areas (laughs) of struggle that I see with clients and it's me like eye to eye, heart to heart as a counselor, sort of giving you a pep talk. Like mm. this is, if this is what's going on, this is what you need to do. 
And then one thing that God put on my heart when we had Jonathan, I had been home from the birth center, I think six hours. So I, it really was a miracle that I even thought of this. But I was sitting in the nursery, you know, it was just Nate and I, our kids were at um, my in-laws house for a couple of days for us to settle with Jonathan. And I, I just felt in my spirit that I didn't ever want another mom to feel alone. Mm. And so many women feel alone in postpartum because typically there's not another friend going through exactly what you're going through in that moment. And so I got out my phone and I started documenting my postpartum experience. As a counselor, as a mom of four, I documented my emotional struggles and my emotional ups and downs. So there's a four week video diary in there where it's me, (laughs) eye to eye, heart to heart, you'll see our baby Jonathan, just sharing about days when I feel anxious or weird things that are happening when your organs are going back in place and you know all the adjustments. um, I think just for women to know that they're not alone. Because often, as you point out, they they really are alone. And if their mm-hmm. husband's going back to work, maybe didn't take any time off from work, you know, people, I think, tend to flood you right away, mm. and yeah. then they disappear. Yeah. Uh, maybe when you need the most yeah. uh, and sort of forget, and it could be really lonely. Mm-hmm. If a mom has worked full-time before she's had the baby, mm-hmm. and suddenly now she's at home mm-hmm. for six or eight or 12 weeks, that may sound great, but it may be very isolating yeah. at a time when she doesn't need to be isolated. Right. Um, yeah, there's, there, there's just so many opportunities for it not to go well, aren't there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of risks and, and vulnerabilities and maybe things, you know, especially again, if you perceive her to be someone who is normally strong or yeah. I actually see even a lot of medical professionals who you assume, oh, they know what they're doing, they're in the field, they know what to do. Yeah. They seem to be the most vulnerable because they are maybe embarrassed or have shame to admit sure. like, I'm I'm not sure what to do with my own baby. I can help a lot of other, other people, people. Yeah. but it's hard for me to recognize my own need. And I also do want to point out, because I don't think it's talked about a lot, between six to nine months, I see another dip in mm. struggles with perinatal mood disorders because there's a big hormone shift that happens at that time yeah. again. And so even women who've been struggling that long, or maybe they've been fine and then they start to, you know, life settles into normal and they realize maybe it's harder than they thought it would be. And so I think just the key point of reaching out proactively and knowing when and who to communicate with along that that path. I'm reminded listening to you that um, it would be, I think it would be easy for couples to say, Look, we we thought about those risk factors. We don't have any of those. Mm-hmm. Nobody's ever been depressed in our family. Mm-hmm. I think we'll be just fine. And I'm I'm reminded maybe just fine isn't good enough. Mm-hmm. Okay, you may survive, um, but mm-hmm. wouldn't it be nice to do a little better than just surviving? Yeah, yeah. Uh, with some great tools like that. Mm-hmm. I think especially this isn't talked about a lot, but women who are perfectionists, <laughs> I think struggle in postpartum because. Again, you have this rose-colored view of what you think it will be like. Mm. And, you know, maybe your birth didn't go perfectly. And maybe you're grieving that, but you don't even have the capacity to process it. And then I remember when we were, you know, we got home with Emma, and I just had in my head, you swaddle the baby. That's what you do. And she, (laughs) like, did not like the swaddle. (laughs) I learned after the fact. I think maybe I didn't realize all the different swaddling techniques. But that, I mean, you can speak to me because I, I think I can kind of have those tendencies. Like that can be hard if you think it's going to go a certain way and then it, and then it doesn't. Right. Well, I mean, expectation as a whole. Yeah. Right? We have expectation of how it's going to look and what doesn't look that way. Of course, disappointment would come in. So how do we handle that disappointment again? This is why this course is so helpful. We start working through how you work through those disappointments. Mm-hmm. What are ways to advocate for yourself and be aware that you are disappointed? Yeah. Uh, because again, 
speaking for men, we will stuff it, we'll suppress it, and we'll just power through. <laughs> and that doesn't serve the whole. It actually mm-hmm. creates more tension because you're on edge more, mm-hmm. right? And so that's why this course to me is so important pre-birth because it gives so much resources to prepare for that day one. I'll never forget from the beginning of our first MO, we had to... Um, uh, we had to get the the the, the pregnancy going, uh, the labor going, mm-hmm. and um, it wasn't what you expected. Uh-huh. Yeah, you had I had to, to be induced. I had this yes. dream of you know what the my natural labor. birth would be, yeah. and then it wasn't. And... Right. So as a husband, I'm witnessing this. She had a plan. Her plans usually work. <laughs> plan's not working. <laughs> what do we do? Right. And so that process for me, observing that, um, it's very unsettling. You know, when you have a plan and it's not going as pl- you know, as you yeah. had hoped. And so from Emma to Jonathan, right, where I was in the room with Emma, but I wasn't in the room, like, emotionally, spiritually, physically, the way that I wanted to. Yeah, I was terrified. (laughs) Right. And so in that, this course and the process and the journey to where Jonathan and Deacon, in particular the two boys, I was in the room. I was very clear about what my wife needed, what she wanted, what mm-hmm. I needed, what I wanted. Mm-hmm. I, I was I was confident to ask for these things. I was clear about what we needed to happen. Mm-hmm. And also I was safe for you to be able to, to lean into me. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. I think oftentimes most men, you know, like you said, the media and, and, and uh, public eye with TV shows, this idea the man just, you know, he's too much, get him out of here, you know, or he right. doesn't really support anything. That That is horrible messaging. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Actually, we are the oak tree that God's gifted us to know how to stand strong uh-huh. so that they can unfold into us, mm-hmm. that they can soften and that mm-hmm. we can hold them in that space, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I just, I know what that does in forming even a tighter bonds once you're going home. Mm-hmm. When you're able to support that in the room during labor, how that creates so much more connection when you go home that I can trust him. Yeah. That he is here for me. But going back to the, your core question about perfectionism, no question there's a cycle that will happen if, if, if you're not aware to slow down and be able to see what's in front of you. Yeah. Yeah, I, I will catch myself sort of smiling sometimes during prenatal visits when it becomes clear to me I'm talking to a first-time mom <laughs> who is a perfectionist, who's a planner, <laughs> who, who does everything like that. And, um, and I'm thinking, Oh my goodness, you've you've got mm-hmm. some lessons to learn because bringing yeah. a newborn home, if anything, is messy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not tidy, mm-hmm. and and things just don't work the way that necessarily you want them to. Yeah, and that could be really hard for some people. I know. Yeah, and as you were talking, Nate, and I, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. I was thinking about the birth room <clears throat> analogy. I'm sure you've observed many types of husbands in the birth room, <laughs> but just I think for. The lessons that a husband can learn to be present in the birth room yeah. when things get scary, when it seems unsure, when she's overwhelmed, when she's upset, yeah. his ability to tap into that deeper well within, I believe it's the power of God within, to be present, to be strong, to be tender, to be compassionate. That's the very skill he needs in postpartum. Yeah, I like to say in, uh, in our birth seminars, in all likelihood, husbands, you're gonna be handed an opportunity to hit it out of the park. Mm. You know, you can be a legend for generations in your family <laughs> if you're prepared and you'll hit it out of the park. Yeah. But not knowing what to do isn't a great way to become the legend. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's true in labor, as you point out, and it's certainly true in the postpartum period. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that may not, I, I suppose it's fair to say, that could happen with zero preparation. But mm-hmm. the probability of it happening, I think, really goes up 
with some professional preparation like you're describing. Mm-hmm. You know, the other thing that uh, I think you and I may have said to each other in other episodes before is a husband will never, ever look as attractive to his wife as he does changing their baby's diaper. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that, uh, that will do it. But yeah. just that idea of... I'm going to do mechanical, mundane things so that you don't have to, mm-hmm. because that's five more minutes you could sit there yeah. uh, or lie there, and and I want to help. And this is one of the ways that I can help. I can't breastfeed. There's a lot of things I can't do. But my wife would always say, you could be in charge of transportation. Mm -hmm. You can go get the baby and bring them to me and take them back lovingly, Mm -hmm. not begrudgedly. Uh, But that's an opportunity. We've just got to be ready for those. Right. And I think that's connected to sex and intimacy in postpartum. Mm. And I'm going to make that connection. I think... You know, we had mentioned earlier, Nate, you were speaking to being touched out and being overstimulated, which is very common yeah. for postpartum moms when you're literally feeding baby and maybe yeah. if you have other kids, they're pulling on you. But I think when it comes to changes in sex and intimacy in marriage, we have one of the lessons in the courses about this because the magical six-week mark that you doctors give us puts <laughs> a lot of pressure on what it, we think it should look like and yeah. that... I mean, it's not intended, but sometimes I think from a woman's perspective, it feels like, okay, at six weeks, a flip is supposed to switch. I'm supposed to be ready for sex. It's supposed to feel easy. It's supposed to feel the same, which none of those things feel true. You know, we're still orienting to our own body changes, let alone like, how does this change sex and intimacy? And so one thing we talk about in the course to relate to the practical things husbands do is, is that you know, your ability to take things off my mental load. If I'm stressed trying to get dinner on the table or the baby's crying and you step in and like, let me go take a shower or change or have a break, you're not doing it just with the intention to get sex, but it (laughs) creates availability. It creates this like mental load freedom to say, oh, okay, now maybe when you approach me, I'm not so, you know, prickly because I know you're for me and you're in it with me and you're you're taking things off my plate so that I can feel more at ease. Yeah, I'm listening to you. I'm just reminded of my other comment about this is not a climate change. It's mm-hmm. just the weather. Mm-hmm. And it is a bit of a storm. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, I'm glad you brought that up. And I'm so glad there's a module on postpartum intimacy because if postpartum mood disorders are a secret, postpartum intimacy is a very well-kept secret. Yeah. Uh, sim- I just think no one speaks to that. Yeah. I'm so glad that you guys do because we hear that on the clinical side all of the time. Mm-hmm. And at least the way that I hear it most often will be from moms in the postpartum period, maybe not at six weeks, maybe mm-hmm. later, mm-hmm. but they will say, well, I'm broken. There's mm-hmm. clearly something wrong mm-hmm. because we were this way before mm-hmm. and now nothing could be further from the way it used mm-hmm. to be. What's wrong with me? Mm-hmm. And the reality probably is you're not sleeping. Uh, you're, you're, you haven't quite coped with some of these changes. Mm-hmm. Your husband's confused, feeling abandoned, mm-hmm. uh, and it's a mess Right. Um, that could have been solved preemptively. And I think because of shame, and even sometimes, honestly, that embarrassment, like, can I even ask my doctor about this, let alone, if I can't ask my OB, who am I going to ask? You know, and so there's, you know, shame or pressure, or maybe even sometimes as women, they're quiet and they're having pain, you know, and obviously men can tell when that's the case. Maybe they don't know about things like pelvic floor therapy, that it shouldn't be painful, like there should be things that you can do to to find support. And so I also just encourage women to communicate about that to their spouse, to their doctor, because you don't have to suffer silently. And that's something I think a lot of women don't talk about. Yeah, I wish there were, I wish there was a better way 
to sort of explain in a in a preemptive way there is with your course to husbands this is what's very likely to happen and this mm-hmm. is what it actually means that little voice in your head that says she's never again going to find you attractive that's not the voice of truth yeah uh, but that voice can be so loud right uh, i think I think the majority of husbands probably experience those feelings. Mm -hmm. And that's before we think about all of the possible nuances. Maybe you have several children. Well, that creates another whole dynamic. Mm -hmm. Maybe you didn't get time off. You had to go right back to work. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's so many opportunities for it to go wrong there. Mm -hmm. What kind of advice would you uh, offer men uh, in trying to think through some of these things? Of course, they need to get your course. Uh, (laughs) Shy of that, while, while they're waiting to get it, what what's some advice can you offer? Yeah, I think community is huge. Having community, a, uh, uh. having a community around you that is very aware of where you, where your your need is, where yeah. the gaps are. Um, you know, obviously there's church community, there's small groups, there's resources like counseling. Um, it's really important to have people that really truly know you and that you can be able to open up to them. And so uh, that modeling will only create a greater ability for your children to be able to grow in a much more healthier home than maybe what you were given. Mm -hmm. Um, And don't you think it's fair to say that women are much more likely to have a pre-existing community like that than men are? Right. Uh, Or at least the type of community where they could ask Mm -hmm. these kinds of important uh, questions Whereas men, we don't always have those relationships at hand where we could go to a, a mentor or a friend and say, how did you get through this? Yeah. Um, and we might get bad advice if we do that as well. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I also know that um, just really leaning in in the areas that are working in your marriage, the, the areas that are that are helpful, uh-huh. be, being up front and communicating, hey, these are some blind spots that I know that are probably going to come up <laughs> and creating some awareness to like where you need help as a man to your spouse, not depending on her to fix that, but just so that she's aware and that you're aware so that when those moments happen, that when she mentions it to you, it doesn't feel um, insulting or feel like it's putting you in a corner. It's actually just a friendly, hey, I care for you. Mm-hmm. And it, I think it's important for you to go go mm-hmm. watch that football game with a friend, <laughs> go have a beer, go whatever it may be in order to support some, uh, I'm okay, all right, and the things are gonna be all right. Mm. Um, you know, for me, honestly, the shift in my life was being really intentional about how I um, use my time, get into a, a life of practice with prayer, with meditation, with reading, um, with working out physically. So what I found that in my life intentionally, when I put um, my actions in order, I start seeing fruit that I want to live in. Mm-hmm. And and so for me, having a consistent um, week of, okay, I get up at this time, I'm going to do a cold shower, I'm going to get out, <laughs> I'm going to be quiet for 10 minutes and just still. And then I know from that point, I can go into my day. Mm. And when I have that regularity, that creates safety within to know that I can do anything else in the day and be ready for it. But when I'm just going into my day, just thinking it's all going to be fine and I'm not planning ahead, that's when I start going down this path of Mm. destruction towards myself and the people around me. Mm. And so uh, community is huge, but also really being able to be intentional about realizing, hey, it's really important for me to uh, be thoughtful about how I'm caring for my heart. What am I doing? How am I How am I being uh, available to what maybe God's trying to communicate to me in this season, how I can show up in my life? Mm. Um, but, you know, ultimately, most of these things, um, it, it doesn't happen in a vacuum. It takes time. And being patient and kind to yourself through the process is the most important thing, mm. um, is that when you are able to look at yourself and observe what's going on without judgment, creates so much more freedom in you to be able to keep doing it. 
-hmm. Because as soon as I start judging myself that I'm missing the mark, I'm probably going to quit because I feel like I failed. And so I think the tenderness of learning how to become uh, not, you don't have to find it. It's already inside of you. We as men, we have tenderness inside of us, right? That little boy I talked about, right? Like we have the ability to soften. And I think when we learn how to use that in a way that actually um, creates connection, we'll only build more um, freedom to be able to show up as you are instead of being a performer. Yeah. You know, I think it comes, it's, it comes to most of us naturally to think of ourselves maybe as protector. Mm. That's mm-hmm. sort of built into our DNA. So in, if there's a thud in the night and you think there's an intruder, most of us would readily jump up out of a, a good, comfortable sleep and go prepare to take that intruder on. But in reality, hopefully, the real threats are not that dangerous, but mm-hmm. they're equally important, aren't they? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. getting up in the middle of the night to go get the baby uh, or giving your wife those breaks that you talked about, mm-hmm. that could be protecting against the threat. We just have to learn to think that way uh, and to channel that same energy, recognizing that the fruits of that are going to come back tenfold, right. but we have to be patient. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, not something we're always the best at. <laughs> yeah. I think hearing you say that, it's sort of a light bulb for me. One of the number one things I do with couples in marriage counseling is getting them out of this mindset of me versus you. Uh-huh. And it's us united versus our unhealthy pattern. <laughs> or it's us united versus our pain point. And so I think in postpartum, when I see couples start to struggle in their marriage in postpartum, I just think... It's not me versus you. You know, it's it's the fatigue. It's the overwhelm. It's the stress. Yeah. It's the demand. It's being overstimulated. And if you can be united in that and go from being each other's critic or judge to being each other's advocate, mm-hmm. you know, if your spouse is being short with you, you know, become curious, have compassion. Okay. Remind myself, Nate was up multiple times last night. <laughs> Maybe he's hungry. Here's some eggs, you know, and I, that's me advocating for him rather than well, what's your problem or, mm. you know, what, why are you responding that way? I'm assuming the best and I'm, I'm speaking up and advocating for him because he's my friend. He's my partner. We're in this together. It's us versus the fatigue. And if we can have that mindset, it gets us out of this battle zone. Right. Competition. And because who wants to be emotionally exhausted right. in your relationship when postpartum is already so demanding? Yeah. It, you know, it's interesting. Um, Everything that you've said sounds like it would be perfectly applicable to the couple who's engaged thinking about getting married, mm-hmm. <laughs> let alone before they start thinking about having a yeah. child. Yeah. But I, it's probably fair to say most couples don't have great skills mm-hmm. developed to take on this new challenge. Right. Maybe your next course should be a sort of peaceful <laughs> marriage yeah. leading to peaceful <laughs> postpartum. Yes, <laughs> yes. I I wish it, we would have had that because it was many years of, well, we yeah. were long distance, our whole <laughs> engagement. And so that was like communication 101 when you yeah. can't see each other. And I think a lot of those skills served us well going into marriage. Yeah, some of those things come up in childbirth planning. Yeah. You know, if you've never had a difficult conversation about your spouse's, let's just say mother, Mm -hmm. ever in your marriage, and now you're going to have a conversation where your wife says to you, could you tell my mom I don't want her at the birth? And you're thinking, no, no, I can't can't do that. Uh, Because you don't have the skill to do that. You don't have any experience in that space. Um, But the same thing that I mentioned earlier is basic parenting things. Mm -hmm. Are are we going to do this or are we going to do that? Mm -hmm. What will we do if breastfeeding doesn't go well? Mm -hmm. Sometimes it doesn't. Mm -hmm. How are we going to deal with that? Um, what what if your mother disagrees with our decision on 
one of these big things. How are we going to deal with that mm -hmm. if we've never tried to deal with that before? Right. Um, those skills could really come in handy. Yeah, and it's hard if you wait to deal with it when you're completely vulnerable and sleep deprived, mm -hmm. which is why being proactive is the best when you're you know, clear of mind and you can have conversations, you can tend to the relationship. Then when you're postpartum, you can actually just enjoy it. And everyone hopefully will then honor what you've proactively requested. Yeah. Well, as we bring this conversation to sort of a natural close, um, what are some of the top takeaways for listeners to achieve a peaceful, productive, holy postpartum? Hmm. I just want listeners to know that you were created for this. Mm. That was one of the first things you told me when I first met you. <laughs> and I was facing some fear around birth. You said, Amber, you were made for this. Oh, yeah. And I, I say this to every, every woman, every man in postpartum, that you were created to enjoy this peaceful season with your baby, that it's such a gift. It's a gift from God. It's holy. It's sacred. And to honor that season as sacred mm -hmm. means to, to put the intentional work and investment and time into preparation so that you can enjoy the gift that it is. So I would say that's one big takeaway. What would you add? Yeah, I mean, uh, building on that, you know, it, it is okay that you're both tired. I know that seems so simple, <laughs> but like I remember just being okay. You're going to be tired. Being aware that this is this is okay, um, but with with the support of family and community, and being aware of of what your need is, um, is going to create so much more opportunity to just enjoy the season that you are in. Like you said, um, our intention with creating peaceful postpartum is uh, that, that'll give you the tools to know who are those people that need to come into this world and help me in this most uh, vulnerable state. Mm -hmm. You know, it seems obvious, but it, but worth pointing out, and this is possible. Yeah. This is not a theoretical thing. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be bad. Mm -hmm. It will yeah. be fatiguing, and there mm -hmm. will yeah. be some sleep deprivation, spoiler mm -hmm. alert, uh, but it doesn't have to be horrible. It yeah. could be peaceful. Yeah, I, th I picture the image of, you know, Jesus walking out in the in the storm. You know, I think just that power of knowing that you can have peace and calm in mm. the midst of fatigue, in the midst of chaos, in the midst of demand, even if you happen to be struggling with a mood disorder, you can still have peace. Mm. And I think the realization of one, where's your source of peace? You know, for me, yeah. I believe that that is God as our source of peace and my ability to then lean into his power to communicate to the people that I love who want to support me and to advocate for myself, that's what really protects the peace. And to recognize that you're made for this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, listeners, I hope you've enjoyed this discussion as much as, as I have. I hope you've learned as much as I have listening to Amber and Nate. Um, I hope that you'll check out their course because you really should. It's Peaceful Postpartum. Uh, there's a lot of ways. Maybe, Amber, you want to talk about how they could connect with you and mm -hmm. connect with the course. Sure. So you can go to peacefulpostpartum.org, O-R-G, and all the information is there. We actually have a free PDF postpartum planning guide that you can download. So if you put your email in there, we'll send you this PDF that will get you started. And if you would like full support from us, which is five hours of content, all these modules. And also, I didn't mention this, but it includes a three-month membership to a postpartum platform for moms called Nelly, where I am an advisor and a teacher on that platform. You'll actually get to engage and connect with other Peaceful Postpartum students, um, other moms who are in this season. So go to peacefulpostpartum.org. If you have any questions or you want to contact me directly, you can email me hello at ambertod.org. 
Well, thank you both again for participating and for joining us on All Things Women's Health. Listeners, I hope you'll join us for more episodes. I hope you'll like and subscribe. Are there topics that you'd like to hear about? I'd love to hear from you. You can message me directly, 260-450-8878. I'll be back soon with another episode of All Things Women's Health and always from an authentically Christian Catholic perspective. Until then, thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Stroud. Postpartum can be one of the most beautiful experiences of our lives. The sweet newborn scent, warm snuggles, and the joy of that smile melts the heart of any parent. Yet one in five moms and one in 10 dads struggle with a mood or anxiety disorder. The stress, lack of sleep, isolation, overwhelm, and demand on your relationship can take a toll robbing you from the calm and blissful postpartum that you envision while pregnant. Maybe this is your first baby, so you're feeling nervous, or perhaps you had a difficult previous postpartum experience, so you're worried about repeating it all over. You want something different. You long for a peaceful postpartum. Hi, I'm Amber. I'm a Christian counselor, educator, and mama four. I've spent hundreds of hours collaborating with OBs, midwives, and counseling pregnant and postpartum couples. I believe in a holistic and proactive approach to perinatal mental health. In my years of experience, I've witnessed many couples shift from overwhelm and stress to peace and joy. So what makes the difference? education, preparation, and support. My husband, Nate, and I created the resource we wish we would have had before our due date. Men, we're different, and that is a beautiful thing. It's necessary. And we also know that if we're really, truly honest with ourselves, we get just as stuck in our emotions and the world that's internal. Our online course called Peaceful Postpartum Emotional Wellness for Postpartum Parents contains a roadmap to help you and your partner work as a team, practice holistic self-care, and meet baby's needs without burning yourself out. With five modules, including one just for dads, you will walk away with a postpartum plan and feel empowered to navigate the challenges together. Our peaceful postpartum community also provides space to receive support from peers and professionals. We know that this season can be exhausting, but it doesn't have to be miserable. God created you for more than that. By taking care of you, you can take the best care of your baby.